Hello and welcome to Alexandra Marshall Live. Today we have a very special guest. She is one of the most enduring figures in Australia's political history. A woman who fought for Australia at immense personal cost. On many occasions, she and she alone has stood for what is right instead of what is politically convenient. No Australian politician has faced more scrutiny, media abuse or unfair treatment from her peers than Senator Pauline Hanson. Senator Hanson, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. It's great to talk to you. The first thing I did when I knew that I was going to have the great privilege of interviewing you was go through the archive to your 1996 maiden speech. You had earned your place fair and square as the Honourable Member for Oxley, but as you were introduced, almost everyone got up and started to leave the chamber. These were supposedly respectable members of Parliament who were acting like children. What's it like to stand there and give your speech, beautifully I might add, in the face of such hostility and disrespect? Alexandra, it was hostility towards me and actually a lot of the members of Parliament didn't even speak to me. I was elected and sworn in in the March and uh, I was... Um, I was actually gave my speech in the September. So in all that time, you couldn't speak on the floor of Parliament unless it was your maiden speech. So I had the aggressive um, aggressiveness thrown out towards me. I couldn't respond. I was um, completely alone in that Parliament as an independent. So when I delivered my maiden speech, I was determined to say what I felt I needed to be said. But I tell you what, my knees were shaking. And I just had those few independents like Paul Farland, Peter Andron, um, Graham Campbell that sat there on the cross benches with me. And it was, um, you know, that was great to have them there. There were a few Liberals. Joe Hockey gave his main speech just prior to me. And I'll tell you something funny too. Apparently, uh, this woman came up to me later. She said, I was there in the chamber. She said, I was in the gallery. Um, when you delivered your maiden speech. She said, I arrived to listen to Joe Hockey. She said, I'm a liberal. And she said, the guard came up and said to me, there's this lovely lady who will be giving her maiden speech. Would you mind being kind enough just to stay back and listen to what she has to say, you know, and give her some support? And she said, oh, he asked politely, lovely. So any way she did, she said, it was fantastic. She said, I found it a lot more interesting than listening to Joe Hockey's. She said, I was so pleased that I actually did stay back. Yes, well, even today your speech stands up and uh, we're going to play a very short grab of that speech right now. If politicians continue to promote separatism in Australia, they should not continue to hold their seats in this parliament. They are not truly representing all Australians and I call on the people to throw them out. To survive in peace and harmony, united and strong, we must have one people, one nation, one flag. Now, Pauline, you could stand up and give that speech again today and it would be entirely appropriate for the national discussion that we are having yeah. surrounding the voice to parliament and the potential to divide Australians along the lines of their ancestry. Were you ahead of your time? And a lot of things that I said, if people reflect back on my maiden speech, what I said at the time, a lot of things have actually happened or occurred 
And um, people said, yes, I have been ahead of my time. With politics, a lot of things that I've said years ago, either John Howard has picked up a lot of my policies. Even now, the, the Liberal Party picked up a lot of my policies as well. The superannuation, using it for your home to buy your first home, that's One Nation's policies. A lot of things that I have said or passed on, they have done. But that's my job, uh, you know, and um, to actually have them take up your policies is, is a real credit to myself. But, um, you know, I've, I'm proud of what I delivered on that floor that time. And as I said in my opening lines, you know, this is my country. I was born here. Where the hell am I supposed to go? And they are really um, stand strong to this day, especially, as she said, in light of what is going on. And people should be treated equally on individual needs basis, not based on race. And if this goes ahead, Alexandra, this um, yes to, to the referendum, well, our constitution will become, um, you know, divisive and also at the moment it's colourblind. We're all Australians together, but it will divide us as a nation. Well, back when you gave that speech, it was almost unthinkable that we'd be on the verge of enshrining a, a racial bureaucracy into our constitution. Are you personally quite shocked at the, the change in political discussion that's happened since when you first stepped into Parliament that day and what you are seeing now? Is this beyond what you thought Australia could be in, in this way we are now? No, Alexander, because when I actually went into Parliament, I stood for equality for all Australians. And because people took that as, as racism, that's why John Howard got nervous and he actually threw me out of the Liberal Party. It came from John Howard, I had to go. Upon um, being in Parliament, it was brought to my attention in the late 80s, a fellow by the name of Peter Jull, he was pushing um, for Australia to have an individual um, black nation within Australia. And it was going to be based on the Inu Inuit people in Canada and Nunavut, the state of Nunavut. So anyway, that was the plan for the whole thing. So this doesn't surprise me at all. It was to happen then. But I think I threw a bit of a spanner in the works. And of course, John Howard then got in for 11 years. So that was a big spanner in the works. But that's what this is all about. You know, it's about um, emotional, let's play on the emotions of people. Yes, we invaded the country. Yes, we took it away from the Aboriginals and all the rest of it. And, you know, they, they want just, this will settle them down if we put them in the constitution, like we've had with the explanation saying we're sorry and the Solon generation and the native title claims, but it's never finished. It's never been enough. So what this will do is then the further push will be to start up a black state an Aboriginal state with their own government, with their own 12 senators, and then it will be so divisive. And I do not believe we should head down that path at all. It sounds almost like political separatism, uh, a Marxist version of it. But everyone who is important has a catchphrase. And yours is, of course, please explain, from that now infamous 60 Minutes interview. Yeah. I've noticed that your catchphrase is having somewhat of a resurrection of late, with people everywhere asking, please explain, when confronted with the new woke ideology. Has your catchphrase grown on you over the years? Um, it was funny how it came about, because I was being interviewed in that 60 Minutes and she asked the question, am I xenophobic? Well, everything's turning my head. And I thought, gee, do I bluff my way through this? Do I actually try and answer it? Um, what do I do? And I thought, no, 
I'm going to be me. I don't know what you're talking about. And I came up and said, please explain. Well, that threw her. And actually, the, the feedback they got from the public, she got absolutely slammed with that by the public. And actually, the general manager of Shell said to me, I didn't even know what the word meant either. So, you know, it's, I use it now and I've used it all, all the way through my whole political life. And I say to the young ones, I said to um, just a young girl last week, I said, you know, in life, if you don't understand, if you don't know anything, it's all right to ask for a please explain. You're not expected to know everything and people shy away from it. So I, I'm not embarrassed at all. And if I don't know, I don't understand, I will ask for a please explain. And I have a chuckle to myself when I see on the parliament they ask questions, will you please explain? That's coming from the opposition or the Labor side or whoever. So I have a bit of a chuckle, Alexander. Well, actually, it's a great political we uh, weapon, Pauline, because if you were to say, please explain to most parliamentarians these days, I bet you they couldn't. <laughs> couldn't or wouldn't you know a lot of them um, don't and uh, so anyway it's um, I've got no problem with it and I tell my fellow Australians if you don't know just ask for please explain you'll be the wiser for it Yes, well, it's certainly a term of endearment from your supporters. You've gone one better, of course, and made it the title of your enormously successful political comic series, which we'll come back to in a moment. But your upbringing running a fish and chip shop uh, is basically indicative of the Australian spirit, and yet was often used as a political slur against you by your political peers, and still is. I cannot believe it. They still do it today. Is there a rather nasty class divide that's still present in the political system between the so-called career politicians and the common people who wanted to go into politics and make a difference? Um, it's not, it wasn't only the politicians, actually. It was mainly the media that actually tried to denigrate me and put me down because, oh, she's from a fish and chip shop, what she know? And I've had people join the party um, and actually thought they knew better than what I did and uh, didn't understand my political astuteness and wanted to take it over. And uh, I thought, no, you're not going to do it to me. Um, I ran a small business that provided for myself and my three children at the time and I was proud of it. Rather than, you know, being on a welfare payment and just being a single mother, that's there. I thought no one had borrowed everything and I bought my business. But prior to that, for 18 years of my life, um, I watched my mother and father run their own business. It was a cafe, um, not so much a fish and chip, but a cafe with a milk bar and it was a thriving business, employed 15 staff in Brisbane at Wollongabba. And I watched my father work 106 hours a week for 25 years. And that's where I got the work ethic. And that's where we learnt about you know, working hard, no one owns you anything, compassion for other people. And I watched that through my parents and how they treated their staff. And I did the same in my own business and I still do it to this day, how I look after my staff in my offices. So it's, it's, um, it's about standing up for what you believe in, the working hard. And that's why I get annoyed about these people who are on welfare for quite a number of years and feel that society owes them something and they don't even get up to, to stand up for themselves or go to work and, and pull their weight on, in this country. Well, hard work built Australia from, for 200 years. All we've had is hard work and we managed to create this wonderful nation. Yep. But what I find interesting about the political class is 
as a business owner, Pauline, you know that if you don't manage your business properly, there are real consequences because obviously nothing is free. But the political class who've always been on the public purse, when they fail, the taxpayer picks up the tab. Is that mentality and a lack of basically more people like you in politics, is that starting to have serious consequences for the political scene we see today? Alexander, it has to be, you know, my background in small business and I've been in agriculture and I've had cattle and I've had, you know, the different jobs and businesses that I've actually helped run and even my husband with his plumbing business and, and employing apprentices. So I've got a wide range of, of background experience and more importantly, talking to the Australian people. What's lacking in our politics is these people that become yes people, they're career politicians. And these career politicians, they don't want to rock the boat because they know if they speak out a turn of their political party, they won't get pre-selection next time around. So what happens is that they lack the confidence or knowledge or experience. And this is why I've never been a person that um, will put, promote people, put people in purely based on their sex, whether a female, I won't push this female agenda. It has to be the best person for the job. So what's happening is we've got women that, are, that the political parties are putting into these positions as ministers that don't have the skills or experience and shouldn't be there, but it's tokenism. So they're, they're, they're then making um, laws or legislation for the parliament, for the people of Australia, and they're being fed all this rubbish from bureaucrats that have all they've ever done was go to university, into jobs, that they haven't had a hands-on experience. We're lacking so much in our parliaments from our politicians. I would rather hire someone who spent 20 years in retail serving customers for a politician than uh, the ones that come out of their university or the unions. They'd be much better at their job. But as you mentioned gender, as one yep. of the most successful women in Australian political history, you must surely be one of the darlings of the feminist movement. How's the sisterhood treating you, Pauline? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. You know what, Alexander, I'm not a feminist, but I tell you what, I dearly love when a, when a gentleman opens up the door for me, I actually thank him and um, I, I think it's wonderful. Um, I've got no problem with it whatsoever. I think these, these women that term feminist and think they can do everything themselves, um, good on them, no problem. But you don't, don't push your wheelbarrow and don't ram it down my throat. I think it's important that men need to feel like they are men and, um, you know, can do these little things for women. And women have come a long way in our society by all means to when they never had the vote and, you know, um, jobs and after the war, if they were married, they couldn't get a job. We've come a long way from then. You know, it's women have positions now that, you know, good on them. They've worked hard for it by all means. And I, and I, I think congratulations. But we're heading down a path now where we are destroying the inner fa fabric of what, you know, men are these days. And we're belittling them, we're putting them down. They don't have rights anymore. And it's, I don't like the way our society is going. So women need to, you know, feminists need to pull your heads in. You need to understand that, you know, it's about treating people with respect, whether male or female, equal rights and um, treat, treat people the right way. Well, anyone who thinks that the, uh, the group of women are going to be your biggest supporters have obviously never survived a private girls' school. I can tell you that much. 
But uh, many have described you as Australia's first and only political prisoner. Did your perspective of politics in general and the nature of this political game change after you were put behind bars? Because that's quite a shock. You know, funny you raised that, and I'll tell you this. When I asked John Howard and I spoke up about equality for all Australians, the Liberal Party said, you will apologise. I said, I'm not apologising to anyone. I don't need to apologise. So that's when I was, I was thrown out of the Liberal Party. And I went down the Gold Coast to see my parents. And as soon as I, you know, turned up, my father said, why did you open your mouth? Dad didn't want me to run for politics. Or, you know, he thought it was tough, but Dad didn't want me to buy, uh, buy a shop, my own business. Anyway, he thought it was too hard for a single woman. But anyway, he was proud of me with the business that I ran. But when it came to the politics, and he said, you will never, ever change anything. He said, it is a dirty game. And I said, you know, Dad, with people like you and your attitude, that's why nothing will ever change. I said, I don't know if I'm ever going to change anything, Dad. But I said, I won't know unless I have a go. And I said, I'm going to have a go. Well, Dad became my biggest supporter and he saw the, you know, the change that I had made. And he passed away in 2006. But it's, all, it's, it's about, you know, um, standing up for what you believe in, Alexandra. And uh, that's what I will continue to do. Going to prison was devastating to me. You have no idea. And what it did to my family. And uh, it took me a couple of years to be able to deal with it without getting emotional because it was, um, I, it's hard to describe what it is. But... You know, I came out of there and I said I'd have to have rocks in my head to ever go into politics again. But, you know, a few years passed since 2003 and the party asked me to come back in late 2015, 14, which I did. So anyway, it's, um, I'm proud of what I've achieved. I'm proud of the, um, the members of parliament we've got elected across the country. And it gives people an opportunity to vote some other than the majors, because by having One Nation here, what we do is we force the political parties, like I said, the Liberals taken up a lot of my policies, we force them to actually start representing the people and um, look at their policies, because otherwise they're losing the vote to One Nation, and so is Labor, and so are the Greens. Yes, well, One Nation is exactly the reason we have the Westminster system, and that is to hold the other parties to account. But a lot of people never forgave anybody for you having to go to jail. And Australians know, historically and globally, that politics can be dangerous, but I don't think we ever expected to experience it here because it's always been quite calm. But politics uh, became dangerous again during COVID. Are you haunted by some of the behaviour you saw enacted by elected officials and bureaucrats against the innocent people of Australia, where we saw pensioners who were turned into criminals for sitting on a park bench? It was disgusting what happened to Australians um, during the whole COVID uh, issue. And I was so anti this jab and uh, I never had the, the jab myself because we didn't have enough um, information with regards to it. It wasn't tried, tested or proven. And it's been now shown that it does uh, have problems. I started up a legal case to actually um, take it to the High Court about clo border closures and what was happening. But the federal government were going to back that, but they pulled out of it and didn't do the backing, so I had to let it slide. The fact is that we've seen how our premiers and our national uh, government conducted themselves during this and were not responsible on how Australians were treated. You couldn't go to a funeral. You couldn't see a loved one in hospital. 
people who needed that desperate operations or cancer treatments at that time to save their lives. There was no compassion whatsoever. It was disgusting. That's why I have pushed and still push for a Royal Commission into the handling of the COVID-19 by our politicians, and yet they're not coming forward with it. Why? Because there is something hidden there and they don't want the public to know. Yes, yeah, so I call them gutless cowards and they quite like the power they gave themselves during COVID. But back to your fabulous and universally praised cartoon series. Before I ask you more about it, while I think you really nailed the Greens leader, Adam Bant, my favourite character is actually the bat sitting in his little bat soup, which annoyed the Australian Electoral Commission. I remember going on uh, TV in the UK to talk about it and they thought it was the funniest thing they had ever seen. Do you have a favourite character from your TV, from your comic series so far? Oh, look, it's, um, yeah, it is. Look, there's ones like when we had Greta Thunberg on it and the way she was carrying on about this climate change and, and all the rest of it. And I think the big red drag was it was um, exactly what happens, you know. They say they go up there and suck on the teat of the red dragon, which is China, and the groveling that goes on there, it makes me sick. And we've put ourselves in the position by successive governments that we're relying on China and the imports that we have here. And for them at this moment to buy our resources and our coal, our iron ore and our you know, minerals is just ridiculous. And then we're buying back the finished product. Governments have failed the Australian people where I have been pushing for years. We should be, you know, doing our own manufacturing, building these things ourselves, um, you know, put free put barriers back on uh, our trade and, and let's build our, our own country to prosperity. But they've just driven it into the ground. So, you know, the cartoons, Alexander, what I'm hearing is that people are finding it informative. People who never took an interest in politics are now actually taking an interest and have a better understanding, even to do with the NDIS, National Disability Insurance Scheme. So scam it actually is. And so it's, it's been very informative for a lot of Australians and they just love them. Yes, well, political humour is extraordinarily powerful. When you say insurance scheme, I can't help but hear the word scam after the cartoon that you had out. There's one scene where you had Adam Bant pillaging a body for cash until you shoot him off. And I have never seen a clearer representation of the hated death taxes than that. But I want to show our viewers a, a quick clip from a recent episode. We've lost power. Someone must have shut down all the coal-fired power plants. Shh! Can you hear that? <laughs> oh, look, it's my best friend, Adam Bant. No, he's infected. Pfft. With what? <laughs> the woke mind virus. Feminism is transphobic. End all coal and gas now. Renewables, renewables. Run. What are you doing? Come on. Now that was inspired by the woke zombie drama, The Last of Us, where our, modical, uh, our modern political ideology of woke has been represented quite accurately, I might say, as a virus. Now, setting aside the hilarious state of Albo's nipples in that cartoon, people will be watching these with a... <laughs> 
<laughs> Long after every figure within them has left politics, you've created a part of the Australian cultural history. Now, why did you decide to make this amazing series? Well, actually, I can't take credit for that, Alexander. It was James Ashby, Ashby my chief of staff. And uh, he saw this um, young up-and-coming uh, couple of guys that uh, they'd put together some sort of cartoon, not political, but on another line. And he put his brain together and thought, wow, how would this go with politics? So anyway, he spoke over the idea with me and I agreed to go along with it. And it's been the you know, best decision that we've made because we really wanted to um, get people between 18 and 35 interested in politics. And uh, that was the main reason why we started up the cartoons. But it's all age groups, all from, people from all different political backgrounds. And it's quite interesting, the number of politicians who come up to me in Parliament and say they'd love to be part of the series. And I just have a chuckle at them. And, uh, you know, and I said, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to do you any favours. If, you, if you're in our cartoons, I don't intend to do you any favours. <laughs> so anyway, um, no, it's quite funny. Even the politicians are actually um, have a chuckle of it um, and watching these, these series. It's very much an at-own-risk kind of proposal, if you ask me. But do, oh, yeah. <laughs> do you think that we need to start laughing at the idiocy of woke because one of the first things that uh, dictators do is they outlaw humour. You can't laugh. But laughter is extraordinarily powerful. Is it the secret to defeating this new crazy ideology? Yes, look, it is. Um, if we don't laugh, um, Alexandra, we're going to start crying because this woke ideology, like transgender, these kids getting all these um, operations, cut off bits and pieces or add bits and pieces. It's just ridiculous where we're headed with this. And yet I don't see either side of politics ever actually taking a strong stance to stop this happening to our kids. We've got, we have a real problem. I, as the older generation, I talk a lot of people my age, they just don't know what the hell is happening in this country. We've never seen anything like this before. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And, you, you know, you try to tell the young ones and, of course, they seem to switch off. They don't understand. They they've um, have this, uh, this attitude, oh, well, she'll be right, you know, don't worry about it. We, we know what we're doing. Um, and, I, and I don't think that's the best way to go with it. And what they do, Alexandra, is they shut down debate on it. So you as a parent, if you don't want your child to have puberty blockers or you don't want to have the operation, you've got no say in it. You've lost your rights over your child. That's wrong, absolutely wrong. And that's where I'm fighting for the parents' rights. Um, it's not up to the state to take over control of your children. What they're teaching these kids in school is absolutely disgusting. These are children, let them be children. And uh, so there's, these are things that are very important to me and I will keep fighting them and hopefully these other politicians will get some bloody common sense about them and start standing up for the rights of parents to have a say in, in their children. Absolutely well said, Pauline. Look, as we finish up here today, as one of the longest serving political figures in our parliament and therefore one of Australia's most experienced politicians, do you have any words of hope for those seeking to enter politics, wanting to make a difference? Is it possible? Of course it's possible for anyone. You know, I've shown the, that it can be done. You're a small businesswoman. What I'd say to people is it's, it's don't look at it as the pay packet, what you're going to get with it. Because what it's about is truly 
respecting the position that people may um, vote you in. It's about making the right decisions without fear or favour for those people of this nation who are expecting us to make the right decisions for them and the future of this nation. So, and that's what's the problem with a lot of the politicians. They're just looking at for the short term, how can I get re-elected next time? We don't have politicians anymore with that long-term vision, Alexander, and that's the shame of it all. It's about, you know, how can I keep my job? And I've gone out there and I've been the first to say a lot of things and uh, because I stand on principle, I stand on what I believe in. And I know that when I'm finally finished in this job, that I will not look back with regrets that I never stood my ground on issues. What you see is what you get with me. And I always be true to the people and I'll most of all true to myself because I respect this position. I'm very honoured and privileged to be a senator in the federal parliament for this beautiful country that I call my home. So to all those people, thank you. Never, never put yourself down. Always believe that you have the opportunities in this country. If that's your dream, if that's your passion, then follow it and go and have a go. Well, thank you so much for coming onto our show today, Pauline. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Alexandra. I really appreciate the offer that I had to come and talk to you. And people can hear my side of the story and, and a little bit more about Pauline Hanson. So thank you for that opportunity. Well, that's all from us here today at Alexandra Marshall Live. We will catch you next week.